0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. In this episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Alex Stewart, the winemaker from Quilceda Creek Winery, in Washington State. Now, Alex has been a fundamental part of the Quilcita Creek team for nearly two decades. In his role as a winemaker, he works closely with his mentor, president, director of winemaking, Paul Gulletson, as well as the vineyard manager, Dan Nicholas. Now, this ensures that the wines produced at Quilcita Creek are gonna be world-class, and they are. Now, Alex grew up just 10 minutes away from Quilcita Creek Winery. In the summer of 2004, his teenagers, Alex and his brother, Lawrence, were recruited to work at the winery and returned for a subsequent summer position. While studying at the University of Washington in 2005 as a biochemistry major, Paul suggested he take time off to work a harvest and get a taste for wine production. Well, that did it. He was bitten by the wine bug. At the advice of Paul, Alex then transferred to Cal State University, Fresno, where he graduated with a degree in etiology in the winter of 2008. The university offered him an opportunity to study abroad, and he did. He studied enology in Switzerland, Italy, and France. With that solid foundation, he returned back to Colceta Creek as an enologist in January of 2009 to continue his mentorship under Paul. Each year, he was given more responsibility. In 2014, he was promoted to production manager. In the spring of 2019, he was named winemaker at Colceda Creek. When not at the winery or visiting one of the vineyards, Alex enjoys going to music festivals and climbing some of the picturesque mountains of Washington State. A climb leader and lover of the outdoors, the Pacific Northwest has become his playground. He aspires to travel the world and climb some of the iconic peaks. Alex is married to his high school sweetheart and has three young children. He's grateful that at Qualceta Creek, he can work alongside his sibling. His brother Lawrence is director of member relations, and sister McKenna Bean is Washington State sales manager. It is my pleasure to welcome Alex to the Vine Guy podcast. Hi, Alex.
0: Hi, Scott. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, this
1: opportunity to talk with you. Well, it's actually my pleasure since I've been collecting your wines for over a decade. So I finally get to meet one of the guys behind the label. It's pretty cool. (laughs) I have to say, you know, the only reason I really know anything at all about wines being made in Washington State. And by the way, shame on me, because I feel like I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable about most domestic wines. But when we think about domestic wines, obviously we're thinking California, and more recently, the Willamette Valley in Oregon. But for some reason, I know I have a blind eye when it comes to Washington State wines, but the work that you're doing at Colcida Creek, as well as others, really starting to put Washington State on the map it's a little bit of a shame. I mean, Washington is kind of an
0: unsung uh, region when it comes to making wine, but we've been making wine here at Quilcita since 1979. So it's not necessarily new to the
1: game, so to speak. Tell me then about the Gulleton family's history in winemaking. How did they end up there and how are they making some of the best Cabernet Sauvignons in the country?
0: It's an interesting story, kind of steeped in uh, European history. If, if, if I may get into it a little bit. Please. Um, The Galitzins are descendants of Prince uh, Lev Galitzin. He was a pretty acclaimed winemaker uh, to the Russian Tsar Nicholas II and is known as kind of as the creator of Russian champagne. And so at the outbreak of the Russian Revolution, uh, the founder of Quilcita, Alex Galitzin's parents, uh, fled to Paris where Alex was born and in 1946, after World War II, he and his family emigrated to San Francisco. Through his youth, he regularly visited his uncle, who happened his maternal uncle, sorry, who happened to be Andrei Chelychev. What? Uh, in, in Napa, yeah. Come he, at on! The time, at the time, he was working for BV. So in 1967, um, after uh, getting married to his wife, Jeanette, they both moved to Washington State so he could work as a chemical engineer in, in Everett, and was just kind of disappointed with the wines that were being made in Washington at the time. So he asked for the advice, asked the advice of his uncle Andre, who happened to be consulting for Chateau Saint Michel at the time, uh, if you know if he could give him some pointers on making his own wine. And he set out to craft you know one of the one of the finest Cabernet Sauvignons that he possibly could. And his uncle Andre, his one piece of advice was. Pick something and do it well and just focus,
1: be myopic. But I think it's important to pause here and tell our listeners that Uncle Andre <laughs> Uncle Andre is considered to be the father of modern winemaking in America. So this yeah, it's, is it's somebody he stumbled on. It. He's he's actually got winemaking coursing through his own blood.
0: C- correct it's it's pretty remarkable I mean we can play you know two degrees to andre Chelychev in the winemaking world and everybody has a story to tell about andre and so it's uh, i feel pretty blessed to, to be in a position where I have that connection to him i mean I never met him personally but tell stories all the time about him and just his legacy that he has left is just remarkable
1: so continue they he ends up doing one thing very well and he's doing it in the Columbia Valley is that is that do I have that right yeah
0: correct so yeah he focused on Cabernet um, loved the the wines that were coming out of Bordeaux and and so he set his heart on Cabernet in 1992 Paul joined his dad uh, and now controls all aspects of the winemaking and the viticulture and he just has this no compromise attitude uh, when it comes to making wine and just this insane attention to detail and incredible palate, in comes me, you know, in in early 2000s as a as bottling help, and I uh, just kind of worked my way up the chain and impressed them with with my work ethic. I guess here I am today.
1: <laughs> so you literally grew up at the winery. I mean, you you went from summer intern, for lack of a better word to the director of winemaking at what is considered probably one of the most elite wineries in america i mean definitely in washington state you have a number of if i'm not mistaken you have a number of hundred point score wines under your belt yeah
0: i mean we're we're pretty fortunate to have been honored with those but honestly i mean we we keep looking forward when it comes to um, our wines and we're never, we're just never satisfied. I mean, we we don't rest on our laurels and we're constantly striving to improve the quality just year in, year out and, you know, making little tweaks and trying to figure out what we can do better, constantly be learning,
1: improving upon our quality. And I understand that you have quite a talented team at Colceda Creek, but you yourself, you have a very minimalist approach in the cellar. Tell me a little bit about your winemaking philosophy and the team that you work with. Yeah,
0: so I mean, it kind of starts in the vineyard, and we like to be as precise with our farming as we are with our winemaking. And so we have a we in two thousand and fourteen we hired uh, Dan Nicholas to be our full time vineyard manager, um, and he oversees all of our vineyards and just does a phenomenal job with farming and when the fruit comes in it's already gone through several rigorous uh, selection processes and by the time it gets to us it's just this gorgeous Cabernet or uh, other some other varietal as well so we like to we like to honor that fruit and just be like like you said just be as gentle as possible with the fruit so there's no there's no crushing of the fruit involved you know, we're all about texture here as well. So if we feel if we were to crush the fruit, you know, extract some of those astringent uh, skin tannins. And so just all throughout the process, we're as gentle as possible with our fruit. And when the wine is uh, barreled down, actually in barrel, we kind of continue that philosophy and we're not fining, filtering, putting any additives in. Quil- that's cool. a approach as well as my own. And kind of touching on what you're saying about I I feel like I'm a steward of the brand, so to speak, because, uh, you know, uh, with a winery that's so steeped in history and has the longevity, the legacy that it has in Washington state, I mean, who am I to come in and start changing things up? This is a a wine that was born 40 years ago, and I I can't come in and start making radical calls, right?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, you, you say that, but I did read something about you recently, That you believe the best way to stay on the cutting edge of wine innovation is to seek out the top wines. I think this is very interesting to seek out the top wines of the world and taste them, dissecting each one to figure out how they were made and to get ideas of new winemaking tactics to try. So while you do say that you are a steward, you are also open to innovation and always moving. Absolutely. I mean, we
0: we love we love wines from all over the world, but uh, since we are Cabernet-focused, obviously the, the wines that we choose to dissect in that regard are Cabernet, Bordeaux-focused, and we are extremely fortunate here to, to have opportunities to try some of these wines. And just yesterday, we had a, a Pomerol tasting, and we sat down with you know four of the best Pomerols, and we're uh, dissecting them not only um, with our own palettes and trying to deconstruct them and figure out the winemaking techniques. But, you know, we also do our own analysis on them as well and just really try to pick these wines apart so that we can, you know, constantly learn and improve upon what we're doing
1: ourselves. Are you always in dissection mode or do you ever have an opportunity to just enjoy wine <laughs> or enjoy the wine?
0: Just kidding. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of friends uh, ask me these questions and it's It's hard to say i there's always some element of dissection and in, in analytics to it, but it depends on the situation i guess when i'm when I 'm at home drinking wine with my friends it's it's enjoyment time you know there's a time and a place for everything, and you don't want to ruin any
1: moment by getting involving your your work too much i guess so Alex Stewart the winemaker is actually capable of of relaxing and enjoying a wine. <laughs> at least on record at least on record (laughs) let's go back to columbia valley for a little bit for people who don't know uh much about columbia valley where where is it located in the state so that's that's another interesting thing too i mean
0: a lot of people when they think of washington they think of seattle and when you think of seattle you think of rain well it's an interesting concept because our vineyards are about three to four hours east of where we're at. So we sit on the west side of the Cascade Mountains. And the Cascades act as a, a rain shadow and sure. block all of the clouds from crossing over. And we get dumped on by the rain, but you know the whole two-thirds of the east side of the state are in this rain shadow. And whereas we see 50-plus inches of rain in Snohomish where the winery is located, our vineyard sites see about eight inches of rain. Yeah, it's it's all inland desert uh, climate over there, and we see about 3,000 to 3,300 uh, growing degree days at most of our sites, so they're very warm, hot sites, surprisingly. I, I
1: imagine you do some irrigation?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we, we're all set up for that, and it's all drip irrigation. I mean, very, uh, as I said earlier, I mean, very... Precise farming, and so we can we have the ability to essentially farm each vine individually if if we need to. Um, certain we're trying to hone in our growing, and so like there's very the vineyard sites are are, are evenly grown, and yeah. And in, in some years, I mean, we have to turn off the the irrigation to certain spots in the vineyard because it's too vigorous, and kind of let that be more deficit.
1: Irrigated than the rest of the vineyard, so you have a lot of control over the farming technique. Then,
0: yeah, it's a it it is an element of control, but at the same time, we we like to express each vintage, and and what Mother Nature gives us more or less as well. So, it's a it's a fine balance.
1: So, on the Columbia Valley sites so we, we talked about that the Cascade Mountains are that rain shadow, so the clouds sort of get stuck on the on the western part. Of right and then come on over. And they're kind of already run, they've run out of water. Yeah, they get to you. I'm curious in terms of your growing seasons. Are they relatively consistent vintage to vintage? Being in that sort of a desert environment. Yeah, we we have uh,
0: when you when people talk about Washington, they'll often talk about the diurnal shift. So that desert climate creates this um, pretty drastic. Um, daytime high, nighttime low temperatures, which retains some pretty incredible natural acidity for the wines. And our growing season is is pretty long. It, we can oftentimes hang our fruit out to late October. I think most, more often than not, our some of our last picks are right around Halloween. That's so yeah. So it just, so it just allows for you know some some pretty incredible flavor and phenolic development to, to be able to have the luxury to hang it out so long.
1: So you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that Cedar Creek's been around a little bit and you're going to soon be celebrating the 40th vintage of the flagship wine at Colceda Creek, your Columbia Valley Cabernet. Uh, I think that's coming up this year. Yep. Yeah.
0: So we, so we just bottled the 2018, which marks the 40th vintage uh, and that will be released on uh, in 2021. Yeah, excited about that! What
1: does this mean to your you and your team?
0: It's an incredible story that the win- that Corsita has, and to to be able to say that we or I am a part of this is a pretty special thing. Not many wineries have have been around for that long and have that many vintages under their belt, and to be able to go back through the library and taste through some of those older vintages is a real treat. And to see the, the shifts in winemaking and the, the different vineyard sites coming on through the years and the, the ebbs and flows of the different vintages that Washington has had,
1: has offered Quilcita, it's, it's pretty remarkable. So in Washington State, we're talking about a 40-year-old winery in Washington State, how far back does the winemaking culture go in Washington State? Is Quilcita Creek one of the older? So, yeah, so we, so Quilcita is the 12th
0: bonded winery in Washington after Prohibition, and it's still family-owned and operated to this day. And to my knowledge, I believe Chateau St. Michel was the first, which they celebrated their 50th anniversary uh, about two or three years ago. So,
1: is right in there is one of the oldest. Yeah, not far behind. And how many uh, how many wineries are in Washington State today? Somewhere over a thousand now, currently. Uh, over a thousand wineries in Washington State. Yeah, and yeah, thanks and, for making me feel terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, but, but a lot of them are producing some great wines and, and doing some pretty incredible things. There are a number of AVAs that are very specific to some, uh, some varietals, and in Washington, I feel, can kind of do it all. It's a vast, vast state in terms of the grape growing and winemaking.
1: So we know about the Cabernet Sauvignon. What else is being grown in Washington State?
0: Another, another big one is Syrah. Um, Saint Michelle kind of cut their teeth making riesling and, and Sauvignon Blanc, but yeah, you name it, we're growing it.
1: <laughs> wow! And is it just Columbia Valley, or are there other regions in in Washington? So the, the
0: attention there is it? the the Greater Columbia Valley, and and from that, which is enormous, and then from that, there are a number of sub AVAs. Uh, in particular, we're getting our fruit from Horse Heaven Hills and Red Mountain. So I
1: know that these are strange times. I know they're strange times because you and I are doing this <laughs> for a virtual wine tasting. Um, but you, or I should say, Quilcita Creek has really stepped up. They, I understand they recently made a donation of over $350,000 to the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund. What inspired your team, to give back to the community in that way. It
0: was uh, it was kind of a shock when we started going into quarantine up here, isolating, and um, almost immediately, the restaurant industry got hit pretty hard, and Quilcita felt obligated to lift them up as much as they support us throughout the years, and they're a very integral part to this industry, and to see the greater family of the winemaking industry to see people like that suffering through all this was a was difficult and we wanted to help them out in any way that we could and and so yeah the we kind of brainstormed what would be the best option to to provide relief for them and we came up with diving into the the library and and pulling out some wines to re-release and donated uh, 50% of the sales of that to the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund as as well as some um, personal and private donations.
1: Wow, I applaud you. I have a number of friends, including a, a family member in the restaurant industry, and I know firsthand the tremendous hardship that this pandemic has brought upon a lot of people in the restaurant and the hospitality industry in general. So Thank you and your team very much for making that donation.
0: Yeah, to, to see the messages, just the heartfelt messages of people reaching out, is, um, it's pretty cool to see the, that you've made an impact on someone's life throughout these trying times.
1: Well, Alex, I, again, I, I thank you, and I actually now think we ought to drink to that. So, it's, Okay, it sounds you know, good. I'm in our podcast where... <laughs> Put up the wines and find out what's in your glass. Now, as I said, we're doing this virtually, so it's going to be a one-way tasting. You're going to have to tell me what it is that we're tasting today and give us a little bit of a rundown on what's in your glass.
0: Okay, so I'm I'm currently drinking the 2017 de Creek CVR, which stands for Columbia Valley Red, uh, and this is a blend of 96% Cab. 3% Merlot, 1% Cab Franc. And the CVR is our kind of introductory wine. Um, its its inception was, uh, the year of its inception was 1997. Uh, Paul came up with the idea to start declassifying lots so that we could, so that Quilcita could make an even more premium Cabernet. And it's continued along over the years. And it starts off, Kind of in the vineyard i mean if if certain lots aren't coming in to meet our expectations they'll be declassified even before the fruit even gets to us but then also throughout fermentation we're tasting the tanks and judging them all throughout their lives and just being as selective as possible so that we can maintain the focus and the the intensity of the the more premium products and this wine by no means is is a stinker it, it's just that uh, we yeah we're we're so we're so focused on quality that we have to have somewhere to put to declassify the,
1: some of our lots and so I, yeah, but being you're being, you're being a little hard on the poor fellow <laughs> you know i have had the cbr a number of times and i got to tell you it doesn't suck I mean, no, 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 not at all. I mean, you you're declassifying some of these lots. It's, it's. This is not a redheaded stepchild. This wine is, it's great. I mean, no,
0: by no means. And and so, coming into the winery, we have uh, about sixty-five different lots to um, to ferment individually, and and build when we sit down to blend. Having all those different uh, blending components, it just builds layers and layers and layers, and and upon Uh, completion of primary fermentation, we'll go through and kind of make our first cuts. You know, it it might be fourth or fifth leaf fruit and it's just, it's delicious fruit, uh, delicious wine, but we just know how that wine's gonna evolve. And it's just by the time we sit down to make our final blends, it's just not going to meet our standards. So we'll declassify that. And then once the wine completes malolactic fermentation, we'll go through and taste all the lots again after they've had a chance to be in barrel for a little bit. We'll make another set of cuts, declassify some more. And then when we sit down to put the blends together, we'll start with the uh, Columbia Valley and then kind of declassify from there. And then we'll take the, uh, one of our other wines, the Gallitzin single vineyard cab, and then declassify from there. And then we'll put together our Palangat proprietary blend and then declassify from there. And, and everything that we declassify ends up going into the CVR. So it's, it's extremely high quality, but it's just wine that doesn't quite meet our standards or just doesn't, doesn't really have a, a sense of place in the greater view of the wines. But what about this one, but it is, it is an absolutely delicious wine. It, a lot of a lot of star anise and cedar and smoke. It's more more leaning toward red and blue fruits, but it really just coats the palate and it's lush and extremely drinkable.
1: Sorry, I had to take a sip. Yeah, it's kind of making me a little jealous there as I'm watching you. <laughs> okay, fine. So tell me about the finish on that. It's
0: long. I mean, it's it's a uh, some delicious blue fruits and a lot of, again a lot of cedar and the tannins are really plush. That's one thing that, that we really focus on here at Quilcita is texture and um, managing that, starting to manage that in the vineyard to begin with. Certain times during the, the, the grape growing, uh, we, we know when to, you know, dial back the water or, or water more so that the tannin structure is exactly where we want it when the, before the fruit even gets to us. Once we're fermenting the fruit we we're constantly tasting through the tanks and then, as I said earlier, we're very gentle with the fruit, and so we don't we don't like to break the skins and release a lot of that astringent uh, skin tannin and so our method of extraction is just by heat we'll we'll heat up the tank the ferment if it needs it, or we'll cool it back down just to to hone in on that level of extraction that we're looking for and so we like to think colceda is all about just plush, plush tannin and beautiful aromatics and balanced wines. I feel that the CVR is just that, a great introductory to Quilcita.
1: So let's see what's in your second class then.
0: Okay, moving on uh, is the 2017 Quilcita Creek, Columbia Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. Sorry, pouring wine sound effect here. Um, This is a 100% cab. From Shampoo, Palangot, and Mach 1 vineyards. Can't yeah, make those names up. <laughs> and so, Shampoo Vineyard is uh, one of our main sites in Horse Heaven Hills. It was 1972, it was planted by the Mercers. And then in 1989, I believe, Paul Shampoo came on as, as vineyard manager and in 1996 is when Quilcita Creek first became a partner in the LLC of shampoo. And, and we bought in early on that vineyard. and it's just beautiful aromatics. It's like when the fruit comes in, it's just like so perfumed. It's some of the most beautiful Cabernet aromatics I've ever smelled off of fruit. Um, and then Palangot Vineyard is is just across the street from that, but sits at about 200 feet higher elevation and Higher density planting. Palangot is uh, the maiden name of Jeanette Galitzin, so it's kind of paying homage to her. And as I said, it's high density Cabernet plantings. It's it's kind of gone through a little bit of a I don't know a replanting, so to speak. It was originally uh, started off as a field blend almost of of what we had there, which was Cabernet, Merlot, Cab Franc and a little bit of Malbec, and Petit Verdot. And over the years, as we've kind of toyed around with different clones with our wines, um, we've we've found that we can essentially use the different clones of Cabernet to, to create these blends and have them mimic different Bordeaux varietals. And so the Petit Verdot that we were growing there was just way too tannic. And so we pulled that out and replanted with uh, Cabernet Clone 685, and the Malbec just wasn't really making it into any of our blends, and so we pulled that out and planted some Cabernet Clone 412 there, and really using that as, as blending components in that regard. And then Mach 1 is a vineyard that sits about 50 feet off of the Columbia River in this uh, beautiful basalt amphitheater and produces some of the most powerful, delicious Cabernets that I've ever had in my life. It's, it's a pretty remarkable sight. It has to be seen to believe. But enough about the vineyard sites. And yeah, and the wine. So tell me what's in
1: the glass. <laughs> the
0: wine is just wild mountain huckleberries and cassis and violets and one, one sip and it just, just floods your palate. Um, the, the texture on it is just so supple. It's just balanced in every single way possible finishes for a minute plus and just that the flavors of mountain huckleberries just keeps lingering and lingering and this fine balance of of oak just creates this
1: ethereal wine this is one of those times i wish i could just kind of jump through the screen and, <laughs> and join you uh and the, this the 2017 has it been released yet uh the 2017 has been released and
0: both of these wines are currently sold out um oh, great. But, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening everyone. <laughs> yeah, un- unfortunately, um so we're kind of sit- we're sitting on our we're sitting on our 2018s right now. Um a lot of our a lot of Coalesita's business model is direct to consumer and so
1: Right.
0: Yeah, a lot of uh, the people on the that sign up for the mailing list um are offered, you know, the Colum- all the wines, the Columbia Valley and then the Gallitzin single vineyard Cabernet, the Palangot proprietary and CDR at member pricing. So, um, But these two wines in particular are distributed nationally. The other two are not.
1: Right. I did want to mention at the beginning of the podcast, but I am going to sneak it in now. Uh, you are the steward now of, of an amazing tradition of winemaking, because uh, what many people may not know is that Colesita Creek has the distinct honor of being the first winery outside the state of California in the United States to be awarded 100 points, a perfect wine. Uh, And you have had, I believe, five 100-point wines, maybe six in the history of Colcita Creek. That's a pretty remarkable run for a relatively, and I do say relatively new compared to the rest of the world, uh, winery. So congratulations on the success at Colcita, and congratulations on your new role there as winemaker. I look forward to trying your wines, (laughs) I continue to get the offerings uh, off the mailing list. And I want to thank you very much, Alex, for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to have you on the Vine Guy podcast.
0: Thank you very much, Scott. It's been an absolute privilege to speak with you. I just have to tell everybody to buy Washington wine. There you go.
1: An advocate for Washington wine, not to (laughs) Creek. Well, once again, Alex, thank you so much for being here and That'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Liebowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. Until the next time, remember, do good, drink well.